0: Get ready for the education podcast that brings you the most unique, no-nonsense takes on school leadership, teaching, coaching, and all things K-12 education. This is Informal Observations with Skyrocket Educator Training.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Informal Observations with Skyrocket Education. I'm Michael, the founder of Skyrocket, here as always with the good doctor, Dr. Antonio Vance. Antonio, how are you, my friend? I'm amazing, man. I'm really good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I am on the first floor of a hotel. Have you ever stayed on the first floor of a hotel? Absolutely not. Yeah. I don't. It's, I've never <laughs> stayed on the like any lunatic could walk up to my window at any moment. Yep. yep. Start knocking or try and break you, in. It you didn't is, request another room. <laughs> I, I just I uh, I looked at when they give you the thing. I looked and I'm like 109. I'm like, where's that? So just down the hallway, and I was like, oh. And I kind of was like, I don't know. I didn't want to be like that guy and be like super picky. But then I got to my room, and I'm like, huh, this is weird.
0: This is. I feel like hotels
1: shouldn't have a first floor. Yeah, this is one of those times you 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 can be like that guy. That's one of those. What would I say? What would my rationale be for changing my room? Hey, I just you know I like the view. <laughs> Can I get a view? <laughs> I'm, the I'm, view yeah, of the of General Mitchell Airport in Milwaukee. Yes. Um, yes. Hey, man, I am fired up for tonight's show. Our guest is a, a he's a cool guy like you, man. He's cool, he's oh. handsome, he's got a cool beard, and he's also a kick-ass uh, principal in uh, in the school district of Philadelphia. So his name is Rob Beretta. He writes a great blog as well called The Achievement Plateau, which. Uh, when he actually releases it every week, I read it every week. He's been, he's been slacking. So we're going to give him some shit for that, but we'll bring out Rob in a little bit But before (laughs) we get to Rob Beretta, He's got a cool name too. I want to ask him about his name is it feels like it's a fake name. His last name is Beretta, which is like, that's a, is that, isn't that a a pistol,
2: a Beretta? Yeah, it it is. I I didn't go there, but yeah, I thought it was a hat for a second. I'm like, no, that's, that's another word. A beret. Oh yeah. That's what it is.
1: Okay. I you know there are people who think my last name is Sombert, French, like that. Yeah. I thought your last name was Songbird for the, long, Songbird. the longest. Michael the Song Songbird. Michael Songbird. And when people would say Songbird, you'd be like, you're mispronouncing it, right? Yes, I did.
2: <laughs> Songbird sounds much
1: better. <laughs> Songbird is cooler. Um, I, I, I agree. Um, before we get to our guest, let's go with our three questions the good doctor Antonio question number one do you have any quirks or strange habits is there anything you do that's
2: really a little bit quirky Um, I think for the most part I'm pretty normal not very quirky or strange but okay um in general I hate surprises which you already know this about me I don't like surprises so like the whole like Christmas and Christmas presents, hiding, and birthday parties, and surprise. Like, I'm not really into that. Um, you know people who hide on Christmas? Huh? You know people who hide on Christmas? Like, hide gifts. I'm oh, sorry.
1: hide gifts. Okay.
2: <laughs> like, I don't like the whole, like, oh, guess what I got you? Like, I don't like just the whole, like, gift wrapping surprise, surprise birthday parties. Like, that sort not of it. stuff. I'm just, I'm not into it.
1: Why? And what's the reason why you're not into it? I just
2: don't like, I don't like surprises.
1: Got it. You like to be in control of a situation. So that's what you, sound,
2: you should. We're not doing this, Michael. This is not a therapy session. <laughs> we're not doing therapy today. <laughs> you like
1: to be in control.
2: And so you can't handle We're, we're not doing the therapy session today. Um so one of my weird quirks is which I mean, my friends call me out on it. Like, so I don't like surprises in the mail. So I have this weird habit of like not fully opening mail like i'll like kind of like open the corner and like peek in yeah um i don't know why i don't it's still weird like i just do not fully open mail because i'm just kind of like oh like a bill comes i'll just be kind of like oh the light bill i'm kind of like you know just barely open the flap just a little bit take a little peek in because i just feel like something's gonna like like a snake might jump out or something i don't know (laughs)
1: We went to those folks who listen to last uh, the last episode know that I am not a big fan of snakes. And like literally two days after our podcast, uh, I brought the family and I went to the the Philadelphia Zoo and we went into the reptile kingdom. I think it's called We went into like the King Cobra. Dude, the problem with snakes is the names they give these fucking snakes. The King Cobra. (laughs) That sounds cool. Copperhead. Like yeah. not just, like if it was just called like you know Joe the snake I'd be like, yeah whatever but it's called the copperhead the black mamba right <laughs> a rattlesnake my daughter's like what's on the what's on the end of the snake's tail I'm like well you see sweetie that <laughs> that's the rattler and when the snake's about to attack or when it gets when it gets uh, angry or nervous or whatever it starts to rattle its tail and just telling her
2: about it it's like oh my god or mating it could be something not as as terrifying. It rattles when it mates as well? Yeah. Oh. That's how they attract their mate. It's kind of like, you know, shake your bum bum, you know?
1: <laughs> so it's like snake twerking, something like that? <laughs> like snake twerking. <laughs> so stupid. Oh my God. <laughs> that might be the stupidest thing we've ever said on this show. Um, I have a million quirks and strange habits. Uh, I could go on for, for days. One thing I do is I remove, I eat a lot of bananas, and I remove the banana entirely from the peel and then i put a paper towel around it so i can hold it so my hand is not on the banana and my wife my wife one time was like why do you do that i'm like well so i don't get the bananas on my hand so i have like a little holder for it she's like the whole the the skin is the holder the skin is the actual built-in holder but i still have yet to i've yet to break that habit i sleep for whatever reason i can't find like a good pillow height so i sleep like here's my pillow and then I have a little blanket. It's like a child's blanket that I ball up that I put on top of the pillow because two pillows is too much. One pillow is too little. So I have this little, like I, we call it my little head blanket. And All I right. put that, I put my head on that. I could go on for, I, I could go on. for. I, for we a, can do a whole
2: podcast on. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. That's interesting. Your Goldilocks pillow. Just got to get it just, just right. That's right. Goldilocks, man. Van, um, something you've learned since the last time we were together. Um, I feel like I'm always learning. <laughs> I, I, I mean, we coach all day and I feel like leaders um, coach me um, all day, you know, all week. So I'm always learning yeah. um, something. But, you know, um, <clears throat> something we talked about uh, with our, um, our own internal team, we've been recently talking about, you know, as the school year progresses um, and you know the weather gets a little warm outside. people start dreaming of the end of the school year and things start to feel a little bit. Um, you know, folks start heading towards the end of the year and things start to loosen up a little bit. Um, and one of the things that we uh, talked about as an internal team is just around one of our uh, core values, which is just around radical transparency and being, super transparent, um not in a punitive way, but in a in an improvement way. And we, we've been talking about it. And so recently, just the, the fact that as our team has been talking about it, everyone is now saying, oh my gosh, I've had to like had even more um of these radical, trans, radically transparent conversations. And I think that it it makes me think about how Those situations are always there. And we sometimes in our minds just sort of push push it to the side. Um, And then when it's brought up, then you're like, oh, well, I do need to have a conversation about this. Oh, well, we do need to help move and really think about your behavior and your thinking about X and Y. And I don't know, I think even myself, um, which I think I'm usually pretty transparent um, over the last few weeks have just because it's, you know, the front of our our discussions um, that it's happening more and more um, that it's, it's needed more and more often. And it's something that we just have to really embed in our practice in our everyday. I feel like I'm also being like radically transparent with people, not at work. um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, the people at the grocery store, like, Hey, I just want to have a conversation about this fruit and the way that it's organized. (laughs) You're giving people fruit fruit feedback. I am giving (laughs) feedback everywhere. (laughs) Like, Oh wait, i might need to, Get this under control. It's an interesting point. We ran a
1: training for some folks in Texas not that long ago, and we asked them how willing on a scale of one to five. How willing are you to engage in a crucial conversation? And folks were giving themselves scores of like five. five, four, five. One guy I think <sighs> said said six, and um, and you know there were some people who were lower as well. But uh, the distinction I made was like around sure around the big things, right? A, a teacher screaming at a student. Um, of course, everybody's going to run right to that conversation. But what yeah. about the, the, the teacher who you noticed, like just kind of glancing at their phone in a staff meeting, right? Um, maybe sending a text here. Nothing. They're not disturbing anybody. It's not a huge deal, Yeah. Um, but it doesn't meet the expectation. Assuming that that's your expectation. Um, are you the, 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 the staff member who comes in like eh, three minutes late every day, right not it's not changing the world but like and it was a different uh it was a different experience for those folks because they're like yeah on the big stuff I go right to it but like you're right I let a lot of little stuff go like we have a dress code at our school and people don't like it's not like they they don't follow it like they they don't follow it at all but they don't follow it totally um but I don't say anything about it um because it doesn't feel like the hugest deal but like It's not the expectation and we're modeling. It's a high school and they're like, we're modeling for kids what it looks like to be in professional dress, right? Students who are going off to the workforce or college or, you know, military, or maybe even just taking a little time off, but kids who like should see reflected what it looks like to dress professionally. So it was a really, it was a really cool distinction that was made and something that I I think we could all get better at is just um, be like, Hey, that's not, that's not. You know, hey, I want to talk to you about this thing. We yeah. we agreed on X, and you're doing Y, and I'd, I'd love to know I'd love to know why, and I'd love to support you uh, in getting back to, to doing X. And Michael, you
2: know? the, the the sort of issue that a lot of folks have brought up is, you know, lately school leaders, um, you know have have had to you know really think about balancing grace um, yeah. and accountability, and so. Um, you know, leaders I talk to, you know, often say like, "Yeah, I'm not going to fight that battle because, like, you know, I'm going to save my withdrawals for, you know, when when is the right time." And so, I think that one of the things that we've spent a lot of time with, you know, with folks that are like, "What are the like, what are the non-negotiables? What are the things that are aligned to your goals and to your vision, and what are the things that you espouse are important?" And still, like, being able to hold folks accountable. Um, in an area where you still have grace. And that is um, often, a—it's a, it's, it definitely takes practice. Um, and and, and it's, it's, it's certainly a thing that, that has to be thought through.
1: Couldn't agree more. Uh, my thing was not necessarily something I learned, but something that I was reminded of. I feel like there's this narrative in education, a false narrative that high school and high school kids are, are radically different than, than middle school and, and elementary in terms of um, what they'll be motivated by and um, how, you know, how, easily the, how easily you can get them like, excited about the school and like new initiatives and talk to a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, I'm in a high school. So, you know, and they almost like shrug their shoulders like, well, you know, it's everything. Like, up is down, day is night. And I think that I've let um, I've let some of that narrative filter into my brain and and I've almost, I've made it, um, I wouldn't say I've made it true, but I've made it more true than I know that it is. Um, because I started my career teaching at a high school where kids were totally hyped up and we would have assemblies where we were stomping and chanting and cheering. Uh, You and I first met at a high school, right? Yep. And, yeah. and you tell me that the, the kids at that school weren't fired up about their school and about their mascot and about yeah. when we, you all would have an assembly and kids are, you know, somebody would be on the mic and say, you know, welcome, blah, blah, blah. Kids like, <sighs> right. It's just yeah. like, it's just fake. I mean, sure. It's, it might be different. It might be yeah. different in terms of what they're going to be motivated by. Um, you know, it's obviously got to be a, a little more adult than, than what you can get. You know, you can get, you know, a five-year-old pretty sure. fired up about, about about a lot of things, but um, man, it is just not true. And we see it. We see it in yeah. a lot of places where folks have built really strong culture in high schools where um, kids are excited to be there and they're they're all in on the on the school and the mantras and the and the um, you know and the and like I said, the mascots and the, and everything the school kind of stands for. And I, just, I, I I was reminded of that over the last couple of weeks having seen it, uh, like, having been, like, in some high schools, I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it can totally look like this. Yep. And so I'm wondering, the folks who say that high school's different, that up is down, day is night, I wonder if, either, A, they even ha- haven't seen it, they either haven't seen it, or B, they know that, you know, we had Kirby on a couple couple months ago, and he talked about how, like, he's, he's, willing, he's willing to look like a fool in front of his whole student body. yeah. If it's gonna, if it's gonna, if it's gonna increase student engagement, and that yep. there's like an uncomfortability there, that it's easier to to fire up some six year olds who are gonna forget about it an hour later, right? Versus like you know, eighteen year olds who are like might see in the hall and be like, hey, like that was stupid, you know? And so yep. I wonder if there's like a
2: hesitancy around around that piece. I mean, Michael, I, I I'm sure you. I don't know if you know this. I get sweaty palms and extraordinarily <laughs> nervous when I walk into kindergarten and first grade classrooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I stand in the corner with my <laughs> notebook and in yeah. the corner and I yeah. try my best to avoid contact with kindergartners, first graders, and most second graders. I am terrified. Yeah. Yeah. And every time they spot me and they come running to me with open arms and I nearly have a panic attack. Um, I will take a 17 year old, um, right, right, right. day over because at the end of the day, they're all kids. They, yeah. they enjoy structure. Um, they they want to have fun and they should have fun at school. Um, and they also want adults there that respect them um, and are there for their learning. And so the same, I see it across K-12, the same love. And um, you know, we talked about love last week. Um, and I'm starting, I'm going to use that word, but you know, it's the same way that we love that we see love in elementary school, the same in high school and kids respond to it. Doesn't matter what grade they are, how they are. I've seen six foot two, um, 12th graders get just excited about a cohort competition, um, that is tracked on a, on a board with stickers, um, just as excited um as um any any um elementary student so it is it is certainly a um not Excellent. true it is a false narrative and i think you just need the experience i mean i still need to work on my um phobia of uh, my ears are getting hot right now <laughs> just thinking of little kids thinking about because i know i have an elementary <laughs> school coming up and i'm just like <laughs> um my ears are actually getting hot because they just i am i'm working on it though i'm working through that Amen, man. Uh, Vance, you having a drink tonight? I am having a drink. <laughs> it's funny. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm having a drink. I am drinking um, tequila, okay. and it's funny what I have it. I have mix. It. It's with um, Kool-Aid.
1: Get uh, tequila with Kool-Aid. Tequila and Kool-Aid. Oh, boy. Yep. Dude, I mean, come on. You make fun of me for some of my choices. That is crazy.
2: It's that in is a glass, though. Crazy.
1: It's in a glass. You hear the ice? Mo- yeah, I hear the ice. There I didn't make the Kool-Aid, though.
2: Kool-Aid. I didn't make the Kool-Aid. Who made it? The, um, there's an amazing restaurant in, in Brooklyn. It's called bed Fish Fries. It's a soul food you told me about restaurant. That, yeah. And they have the most um, diabetic-infused Kool-Aid okay. um, known to man. It is amazing. And I order it once every, like, six months. I had bed style fish Friday day with Kool Aid, and so I was like, "Oh, we're having a podcast. Might as well save it and um, add some tequila to it." Uh,
1: that's the Don't craziest thing it. I've ever heard. It's um, amazing. I, I have. Do you see this? You see what's in my hand right here?
2: Oh
1: this boy! Is a, this is it. so. I'm. Uh, I have to tell this story. We'll bring Rob out after this. But last night, you know, I was meeting with a potential partner for next year, and um, up in uh, up in uh, a town not too far from here. Um, um, and I wound up having a couple cocktails there. I came back to the hotel here and I had a bunch of work to do. And so I just decided to do it in the bar, which I probably made smarter choices, but uh, I'm in the hotel bar and I'm drinking a beer. They have a local beer here, a lakefront brewery, brewery, which is a great spot. Um, And I'm drinking the the lakefront brewery IPA and Jameson. And that's my round, right? Beer, Jameson, beer, Jameson. I probably do four of them. I start talking to the bartender and she's like, uh, where are you from? And I tell her, so where are you from? She says she's from Hawaii um, and she has eight children, eight. Um, and she's step, a step parent to two other kids. So 10 total, 10 total children. Um, and yeah. she's talking about, um, and she's just like, super interesting and funny, And just like, sounds like a great mom. And so the bill comes and I'm just like feeling super generous. And I give her a really nice tip and she comes over and as a thank you, fills this entire glass up to the top That with 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 Jameson. Yeah. I mean, that's like the
2: whole bottle.
1: Yeah. It's it's probably, it was probably like a third of the bottle she gave me. Um, Well, you took a big chunk
2: out of it already.
1: Yeah. So um, (laughs) wait, did you drink that
2: since we started?
1: I had some last night. I had a little bit before. Okay. Um, yes, I will. I am drinking Jameson. Straight. Uh, straight. No Kool-Aid. I don't have any Kool-Aid here, Vance. I'm on the <laughs> first floor you. of the hotel. We got snakes twerking all over the place. You're drinking tequila with Kool-Aid. Our pets' crazy heads are show. falling off. Things Crazy things are happening. Crazy Let's show. bring in our guest. Um, his name is Rob Beretta. He goes by multiple names. Robert. Bobby doesn't like being called Principal Beretta for some reason, but um, he is a, a principal for the School District of Philadelphia, and uh, we're thrilled to have you on the show. Rob, welcome, man. How are you?
0: is so excited to be here. This is really, really awesome. First podcast for me, and uh, oh. man, couldn't have asked for a better first podcast. Let's break them in,
2: Michael. Let's break let's them in. It. Let's get Take it. it. <laughs> Rob,
1: let's start. Is that a fake name? Is Beretta a fake name? Is it a stage name?
0: It's definitely a stage name. It's the, you know, we say all the time that teaching is performance. Pr- principaling is also performance. So I needed a good stage name. Um, you know, got some connections to uh, to guns, which adds a layer of intimidation to me. No, yeah. No, it's uh, it's not a fake name. It's it's the family name. Um, Did, you actually, know that there was a show
1: called Beretta, right? I think it's spelled differently, but you know the show and the actor Robert Blake. I mean, it's before my time, but didn't he get arrested for, like, murder or something? Did, do you know about he murdered,
0: this? He murdered as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so anytime people bring that up, I say, you know, it's spelled a little differently than, than <laughs> my name. And I also don't associate with that level of violence. So, yeah. yeah that's um, a good thing. But yeah, it's, it's always, the, the name has always served me well. I feel very fortunate to, to have gotten this.
1: It's memorable. It's memorable. I used to play in a band with a guy named Joe Paris, P-A-R-I-S, just like the city. And so at the beginning of the show, They would make you check in with the bouncer uh, and they'd give you a wristband so you could like get like a beer for free or something. You know, we'd like pack the club. They'd give us like a a handful of free beers and like a hundred bucks at the end of the night. And you're like, this is awesome. Anyway, we'd give our names and he'd be like, you know, name. I'd be like Mike Sombert and I spell it. I'm Joe. would be like Joe Paris. And he's like, real names only, not stage names. And he's like, no, (laughs) he's like, that's my real name. It's actually Paris. So that's why you should um, go by Songbird. Yeah, Michael Songbird. That would be perfect. Mm. I'll go back in time, start the band again, and I'll <laughs> Do try you sing. Name. And
2: you know, I think it just is <laughs> fitting. I'm going to make this I work. Barely,
1: I barely <laughs> sing. Um, Rob, you're a principal in Philly. A lot of principals listen to our our show, man. So, what's been your? Uh, it's been a, like a, a kooky two years, right? Let's let's. That's probably putting it mildly. What's been your biggest challenge over the past years, and, and what's been your biggest success as you see it?
0: Yeah, um, that's a good question. You know, I think I will tell you that being a virtual principal for me was pretty easy. I found that, you know, I can sit behind a computer and do work and create systems and organize documents and respond to email and manage my calendar and set up appointments and do zoom meetings. That kind of stuff actually comes pretty easily to me. So when the biggest challenge has been coming back in person, even when we went back to hybrid, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I've been telling folks that for the last, I would say, year. I guess we came back into hybrid instruction around this time last year in Philadelphia. Uh, we have we've experienced more interpersonal conflicts among staff than I've ever experienced, I, and you know, I found myself having to you know sort of mediate those. And I think part of that is just you know the, the frustration of having to commute and sharing a space, and then you know the general grind of teaching, and for, you know, especially this year the Uh, the the coverages and so many other changes that teachers have had to deal with. Um, And I think there's also this aspect that I talk about a lot with my staff, which is, you know, for basically 18 months, we had put on the shelf all of the systems that we use to run school in person, you know, even in terms of how we transition kids in and out of classrooms, how we do admit, how we do dismissal inside a classroom, how teachers manage all the routines, you know, what, what they, you know, how they move about the room. Mm -hmm. It's, sort of like any muscle you put it on the shelf for 18 months, you take the cast off and there's a really steep learning curve to kind of get it back up to speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've had to, you know, sort of navigate that with some patience. Um, also some more intentional coaching to help folks remember how they used to do things and get into that. Yeah. habit. Um, yeah. So that's, that has definitely been the biggest challenge, biggest success. I would say, you know, we just got some mid-year data back and I think, you know, not to sound like I guess too idealistic, but I do think that there's, there probably was an opportunity this fall to just say, hey, listen, it's so many challenges we're facing right now unprecedented absences. You know, we're, we're implementing some new curriculum, we have other changes. Like, let's not worry about student achievement. But, much to the credit of my teachers, um, mm-hmm. really all of our support staff, they really leaned into it and, you know, said, hey, listen, kids have a lot of learning to catch up on. I mean, they have a lot of learning to catch up on every year at our school. Um, just because of the you know the students that we serve. but we had some really, really awesome growth from fall to winter, and I'm just so proud of the work that the the staff did in, in making that happen.
1: It's awesome, man. I, I, uh, and congrats uh, congrats on that on that growth. I, uh, uh, in, interestingly, just in the last couple of days, we've gone back to some in-person trainings. and this is nothing like bringing an entire school team back, but just on an individual, level i've been like i was out of breath i'm like i'm out of breath i'm like i'm like i was got like like turned around i walked in front of the projector like four times and you know that when the when you walk in front of the projector and it blinds you and you're like seeing spots for like you know, three minutes i'm like man i am out i am out of practice i am not i am not uh yep. i'm not in this so rob i'm gonna hand it off to antonio in a second but i totally forgot to ask you are you having a cocktail man?
0: So this is a great, this is great. I knew you were gonna ask me this question because you guys talk about this all the time. So I am having, I've got a peppermint tea right here. And then I've got a little little Yeti full of some homemade bubbly water. Um, And I don't often booze during the week. And the reason why is because I I get up at 4.45 every day. And uh, I have like, uh, my friends will make fun of me because of this too. We were on vacation uh, a couple of weeks ago. and um, Everybody was like, you're going to have a drink bread. We know you don't really booze a lot, man. And they always make fun of me because I talk about my body battery from my Garmin watch a lot. Yeah, so this yeah, yeah. Garmin watch I have tells you sort of where your body battery is on a scale of zero to hundred. If I even have like one or two drinks during the week, my body battery just nose dives and I wake up feeling, I don't yeah. sleep well. I feel terrible in the morning. And I tell people that, you know, this is, um, it's a type of job where it's not, it's not really Good or feasible to not be a hundred percent when you go into work because yeah, people don't uh, get that. Yeah, like just this oh, yeah. afternoon, uh, we had a student at the end of the day during dismissal in a forty-five minute mental health crisis, and myself, oh. and the student's mother were restraining him at periods like um, on the lawn of some houses down the street because mm. he was, mm. he was a first grader, just had a really, really, really hard time, and so mm. you know, I know days like that happen. And they can happen frequently in my work. And so I, I really try my best to, to live a pure life from Monday through <laughs> Thursday. And then Friday, Saturday, I've been really into um, to making cocktails in the last couple uh, months, probably mm-hmm. since the start of COVID. And I'm really, really? into egg white cocktails. Yeah. What, what are they called? So any kind of cocktail where you just, you know, you mix in a little egg white. I, I know Antonio's. Oh, egg white. Yeah. <laughs> Uh,
1: uh, Antonio, change your fucking face, dude. You're drinking tequila with Kool-Aid. Yeah, bro.
0: You got Kool-Aid in there, man. Come on, you can't, you can't <laughs> be shaking for putting egg white in a cocktail. Egg I mean, whites? Yeah. Wait, um, wait a minute. So two benefits <laughs> Two benefits to, to putting egg whites. Number one, it's, a, it's like a protein shake, right? Like, you know, like Rocky style. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> no, the real benefit is like they add like a, uh, like a creaminess to it, a texture to the cocktail that you don't get. Uh, you know, with just like simple syrup and 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 other liqueurs. So, um, yeah, like a yeah, goods- that's a
1: it's a pretty popular that's a pretty popular, um, a pretty popular uh, I don't know recipe or whatever. But you, when I if I go to a cocktail a cocktail lounge or whatever, there's mm-hmm. usually a drink or two on there that has egg whites in it.
2: So what? You, I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. So you put egg white into a cup and you would pour
0: liquor in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't, don't apologize, Antonio. This is a great push here. The, the people have to know we have to push the word out. I just I like clarity. <laughs> That's be ultra clear here. Well, the general recipe is like, you know, two ounces of uh, two ounces of a spirit, maybe three quarter ounce uh, of a simple syrup, three quarter ounce of some kind of acid like lime juice, lemon juice, and then maybe a half a uh, um, half a tablespoon of um, egg white. And you just put it all into it. Usually when you do it, you got to do a dry shake. So you put in the acid with the egg white, you do a dry shake that sort of pasteurizes the egg, ensures there's no, you know, funny business going on there. Um, and then you put in the simple syrup, the liqueur, and you give it a good shake and uh, with some ice and then, yeah, you can strain it, but I like, I like all of the bits in there. So
2: and it, it doesn't make you nauseous.
0: No, no. It makes you feel amazing. Like again, just the, the egg white, the protein in there, your giant muscles. you know, no. <laughs> Vance, Next we're,
2: time we're, I'm in Philly, I'll, i I'm going to find you, and we are going to go out, and it'll be a Friday night or a Saturday night. It right.
1: yeah, can't be during the week. It like won't be during the week. <laughs> Vance, there's a place not too far from where we stay in Philly called uh, the Dandelion, which is a great like. Um, no, I'll some support with this.
2: I, I, I'm going to come. I, I'm going
1: to come with secret. you, but they do. They <laughs> actually put a raw egg in a beer, mm. uh, and. Um, it's not. Uh, it's not quite the egg white thing that the Rob's talking about,
0: but we what can do it. Effect? We'll do What's, What's that? the effect? Of that? What is, What is the effect of the egg and the beer?
1: I don't know. I don't know. Just. Um, I don't know. I just got it once. It felt. It tasted fine. <laughs> I don't know. I gotta try that now. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, anyway, um, we'll do that
2: oh. soon. I'm gonna um, move us along. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was I was not expecting that. Um, Rob, I was not expecting that. Well you're
0: footballs, man.
2: <laughs> look, you work in one of the largest school districts in the country. Your school district's on TV now, everybody's talking about
0: it. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, what's a misconception about working in, you know, a large um urban school district?
0: Hmm. misconception. Um I mean, I would have to say that uh, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that our teachers are not good at their craft, Uh, you know, that they're maybe um, sort of a little bit novice. Um, And I think it's, it's the exact opposite. When I see teachers in large urban school districts, they are often at the top of their game in terms of classroom management, in terms of, you know, instructional practices and, you know, how they engage students um, the curriculum that they're using, um, and the ways that they utilize it. And I think it's part of it is because you really have to be at the top of your game, um, you know, to, to, to help students, uh, who come in with, um, a lot of challenges and who often come in at risk. So yeah, I think there, there definitely is that misconception that like, Oh, well, the the kids in Philadelphia or the kids in what, you know, X city across the country are failing because the teachers aren't working hard enough or not good enough and um it's it's not that way at all. they're they're so excellent. It's humbling.
2: That's awesome. yeah, I, I mean, oh. I would say I probably shared at some point in that misconception I had an Aubrey and I'm working at a school now in in South. I'm honest.
0: <laughs> I oh, probably I, thought that. I was a terrible temp- great and- teacher when I started, so yeah. <laughs>
2: Um, And, you know, I worked in a school in um, South Philly. And um, man, let me tell you, those teachers are, you know, they've been there for 15, 20 years. And, you know, they know their practice. They know kids. They know how to get um, things moving. So absolutely. That's yeah,
0: I agree. I wonder if if part of it is, you know, I I would agree when I started, I was pretty awful. But I think the learning curve, I think when you're, you're working in, um, you know, large school districts and in urban schools, and, uh, I think the learning curve is, is steep. You know, you have to get good, be yep. really quick, or you're just not going to make it, you know, like you, your students are going to figure out that you are not a good teacher. They're going to get really frustrated with you. The administration will see that you're not really, you know, helping kids and, and getting the most out of them. And so I think that's part, of, you know, I wonder if part of it is also just, you have to be really good. You have to be on top yeah. of your
2: absolutely it's, it's unforgiving right yeah,
0: yeah it is
2: now you've lived in texas dc now you're back in philly um close to where you um grew up what what um what brought you back to the city of brotherly love
0: um i think i was just getting tired of saying y'all and i wanted to get back to saying yous you know <laughs> No, um, <laughs> that's a good question. Why did I come back? Um, you know, I, I I, had, I at the time I was living in Houston before I moved back to Philadelphia and I was working yeah. at um, uh, a prominent charter network there. I was working in one of the schools that I helped uh, found as a founding teacher. And I think the school was going through some leadership changes. Uh, you know, we were in our second year, things were not really panning out, I think, as the network had hoped. And there was some you know, I think, uh, there was a sort of a vacuum in terms of who was going to take over, uh, uh, at the school. And I think the network was sort of looking at the teachers there and thinking, ah, we think it's probably them that sort of gummed up our, our grand plans here. Yep. Um, and I was also, you know, I had two brothers that are really, really, uh, much younger than me. One who is uh, a senior in college right now, just got offered a job actually, which we're pretty stoked about really oh, proud. Nice. Um, and so they were, they were young at the time and I had, you know, I'd also had this feeling that like I was not being a good brother and not being around you know living so far away um, and so that's yeah that's part of the reason why I decided to come back uh, you know Philly is also my my hometown and I think I was feeling like a little bit of this deeper connection to the to the work and knowing that it's a you know a school system that that definitely needs um, all the support that it can get and I was kind of excited about coming back and Uh, you know, not being an out of town fan, sports fan anymore and being able to, Mm. (laughs) So, what did you
2: miss the most about Philly? What's something that you were just like, I miss X about Philly.
0: Um, I I mean, I think at the time I was telling myself that it was family and friends, but what's really wild is the, somebody asked me this recently, like, what's the hardest year of your life? Um, And the hardest year of my life was when I moved back to Philadelphia because I was teaching in a really challenging school. It was my eighth year of teaching. Yeah. Uh, I was not feeling really successful as a teacher, even though I was probably doing a better job than I had perceived. And I really did not have any friends here. And so I really got very depressed. I wasn't sleeping at night and that sort of Mm -hmm. compounded, you know, like Mm -hmm. when you sleep at night and you wake up and you, you know, like I was telling you earlier, I feel like you, you I need good rest to be on top of my game when I go into a school. So um, I think at the time I was telling myself that it was family and friends, but I I think in reality um, (laughs) it turns out that all of the, all of my closest friends had moved all around the world and I had such a really good core of people in Houston. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think I realized how deep those connections were when I moved back to Philadelphia.
1: Awesome. Um, Rob switching gears a little bit and I introduced you as a cool guy on the front end. This is going to continue uh, to, to, <laughs> to bolster that reputation. You speak fluent Spanish. You're learning Portuguese talk to us about um about learning portuguese are you how far how far from fluent are you and why are you learning
0: portuguese yeah that's a great question um so i would say i'm about uh, i'm fluent in spanish but i'm uh, i would say i'm intermediate in, in portuguese i can understand most spoken brazilian portuguese yeah. uh, we have a so the reason i learned it was because we have a growing uh portuguese speaking population that's moving into our neighborhood. When I started, we had um, zero Brazilian families. Now, I think we're at 25. And this year, I would say every week we register. Uh, you know, During the pandemic, our school was wildly under enrolled. I think many of our immigrant families moved away. But this year we've been enrolling students. I mean, so many every week. I think we're 70 students higher than we were on October 1st at this point. But every oh, wow. week, I would say every week we register a new Portuguese-speaking family from Brazil. Um, And, you know, I really do believe that um, uh, when you can speak to somebody in their language or, you know, understand them, that I think they feel a little safer. Uh, I know, you know, moving to this country has to be a really daunting experience. Putting your child in a school system that you're not familiar with has to be really daunting. And, you know, I think like one one of the things that I talk about all the time is we really have to do a better job of building uh rebuilding the trust between schools and families in Philadelphia and I think one way to do that is by you know being an ambassador and being able to communicate with people in their native language um the parent actually that I was supporting today while that child ha- was having a mental health crisis um spoke portuguese she spoke very good english as well but at one point we were you know sort of holding her child so he would calm down and I looked at her and I said você fala português now. and she said seeing. And she was very surprised that I could speak Portuguese and then started, you know, kind of talking to me a little bit in, in her native language about the situation. So um, yeah, I think, you know, situations like that where I can communicate and, and hear someone in their native language and make them feel more welcome um, are really important to me. So that's kind of why I've been pushing myself to, I'm using this app called Busu, B-U-S-U-U. B-U-S-S-U-U. Yeah. There's so many apps out there. It's pretty yeah. helpful. And I listen to a lot of um, YouTube videos, in Portuguese. So, really? yeah, there's so many like language teaching videos on YouTube that you can just kind of play in the background while you're jogging. So. Got
1: it. Got it. Oh, that's awesome, man. Wow. That's really inspiring. Um uh Like what a commitment to the, to the, to the families you serve. That's, that's incredible. Truly.
0: Thanks. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's uh it's part of the duty. I mean, honestly, I was thinking about this the other day. I think we could probably replace some of the training we give leaders with some more, language training, or at least offer many leaders more training in other languages. Because I know so many principals, too, that serve Spanish-speaking communities in Philly. And they're like, oh, man, I'm really trying to learn Spanish. I wish I could, you know. And I do think that, you know, being able to communicate and build bridges with families mm. in the native language is really, really critical. Wow.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'm speaking of uh, speaking of families, you, uh, I think there's a new baby over uh, uh, in the mix at the Beretta House, right? So Ooh. how do you... How do you enjoy being a dad and, and what are you good at? And where do you need to, where do you need to get better?
0: Um, yeah, that's wow, man. Yeah. So first of all, there is a new baby coming. End of July. My wife is due. We're really excited. We, yeah, uh, we were just, but with, you, you have, you have a two-year-old too, yeah. right? I got a two-year-old right now. Yeah. I had to pick him up early from school today cause he's not feeling well. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, we got another one on the way in July. Um, well, congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. For the, so for the first one, we didn't find out the gender. We just, you know, let it ride. Um, and this one we did. A, we were on vacation with a, a big group of like 20, 20 friends a few weeks ago. So we did a gender reveal there. Nice. We're having another boy, which is exciting. Oh, congrats. And we've already got his name picked out. Samuel, he will be called. My wife said. All right. Um, so, yeah, we're pretty it's excited. Great name. Yeah.
1: I have, um, my, one of my grand uh, one of my grandfather's names was uh, Samuel. We called him Sam. It's a great name.
2: Did he have multiple yeah. names. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no one of my grandfathers oh, his, one name. Of his names. <laughs> yes he had, mo- he had, he kind had of some stage identities yeah <laughs> sage names
0: secret identities all that stuff um but how do you enjoy being a dad man what do, what do you yeah. good
1: at what do you what do you need to get better at
0: so that's really funny uh when my wife and i got married you know uh we had talked about having kids and i was initially pretty ambivalent about whether or not you know i, I wanted to be a dad i was like yeah i, I could do it and i, I could not i guess um, I was the I, same way, about it. same. Yeah. Way back yeah. I, 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 why
1: were you that way? Like what was, I don't know. I think I was just, uh, I think I had this like obstinate streak for, I, I don't think, I know I did for years. So I think it was like, yeah, I'm not just going to do what everybody's going to expect <laughs> me to do. I mean, this, this, this tattoo, I, for folks who, who never met me, I have a black star tattooed on the, the left side of my neck that I got when I was 21 years old, which Back then, nobody had tattoos on their necks unless they were like, you know, inmates or in yeah. in gangs. And I remember my aunt saying to me, uh, why, why did you get a tattoo on your neck? Like that, and I said, so I could never have a normal life. Uh, and I was just like, yeah, uh, you know, 21 years old thinking I'm, you know, it's me against the world. And I think that that yeah. carried over to getting married and being like, yeah, I don't know, everybody has kids. I'm not doing what everybody, <laughs> what everybody tells me to do. I'm doing what I want to do. And I was dead wrong as always.
0: Yeah. I think for me, I, I think the, 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 like one of the great existential crises I think in life is, is like learning how to become less selfish. You know, the older you get, the more you have to give yeah. even a job as you assume more responsibility, you have to give more of yourself. And I think I was a little nervous about, you know, giving up the, I was single for six years before I met my wife and i had carved out some really fun activities and, you know, independent time. And I think I was a little concerned about giving that up. Um, And I remember talking to my therapist and saying, you know, like, well, I'm just, I'm just really scared that this child is going to, you know, take so much from me and I'm not going to have enough to give because I work this challenging job and I'm going to go home and, you know, I'm not going to be able to, you know, be the warm demander that I am at school with my own child. And he's going to cross boundaries and he's going to grow up to be a delinquent and it's going to (laughs) be awful. And, um, well, I've been there. And yeah, but I think the, the, the aspect of the equation that I hadn't considered was how much joy he was going to put into my life. Mm. Um, And that's been really beautiful. Um, You know, one of the, I think the silver lining of being a virtual principal during the pandemic was um, being able to spend so much more time with him. You know, I didn't have to commute so I could walk with him around the park where we live here in West Philly and, you know, just hang out with him in the playground in the afternoons. And it was, that was really beautiful. Um, So I think I'm, I'm good at doing stuff like that, taking him out for walks. I'm good at like roughhousing and tickling him. I mean, the, the <laughs> thing that I the thing that I have to always get better at is learning to be, you know, a little less selfish. Um, I, 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 You know, I think it's this job can also be so exhausting that uh, you know I'm just thinking about how I'm going to get the work done during the week, and then yeah. not thinking about how I'm going to make the weekend memorable for my son. And I I do I do need to do a better job of that because. You know it's so cliche, and people say, "Well, the time's gonna fly. Make sure you savor the moments." But, I mean, it feels like he was, uh, you know, I was holding him as a newborn in my arms, and now he's, you know, two and a half years old. So, it flies.
1: Yeah, yeah, it does fly, man. And I, um, I, I used to work with a guy um, who had three kids, like I do now. At the time, I don't think I had any. Maybe we were expecting our first, and he said. Uh, Michael, and uh, this is a baseball reference that some of our, our, our listeners may not get, but he said, Michael, I'm ba- I bat fifth. He's like, I bat fifth. Everybody <laughs> else comes before me. Uh, and I remember when, I, when we had Max, I was like, all right. I told him, I said, Dave, I'm batting third. He's like, all right, man, congrats. And, um, but you're right, uh, Rob, you're right, man. It is, uh, I feel like, and particularly during the pandemic, as you mentioned, getting like that, uh, year of, and, and listen, nobody wished for a pandemic. And, uh, you know, certainly it, it was horrible in so many ways, but to get a year of like free time to just hang with li- my little ones, mm-hmm. um, I absolutely think it, it changed my perspective on so many things. And, um, I think I'm, 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 uh, I'm calmer because of it. I'm more selfless. Because of, because of it, but like yourself working on being less selfish. But um, I think uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing to to care about other people so much more than you care about yourself.
0: You know, the uh, you're, you're absolutely right. The way I was just thinking, the way my selfishness, as you were talking about the baseball reference, the way my selfishness manifests itself is I come home from work and I'm so viciously hungry that I just need to eat right away. And I'm like, yeah. about eating as a family. I don't have time for that. Just give me my Give me my leftover pasta. that I'm gonna reheat, or give me my yeah. sandwich that I'm gonna make. I gotta yeah. get back eating together as a family.
1: I know it. I know it. We're so used to it as educators. Like I eat half the time. I eat over the sink. Like yeah. while like while yeah. like the like like my wife's putting the food out for the kids. She cooks most of the time. I cook a little bit on the weekends. But like she'll put that. I'm rarely home. I'm rarely home during dinner anyway. But when I am, like I just like eat as fast as I can over the sink, and then I'll still sit with the family most of the time but mm-hmm. uh i don't I, I think that as educators, we're just trained like I have four minutes I can eat a banana i can I can eat a banana, a handful of cashews, and then I can use the bathroom and i can be and i can be back back to it so anyway. yeah definitely
2: i'm i i'm gonna break up this dad
0: vibe'm <laughs> <laughs> <exclude> <laughs> gonna
2: break up this dad vibe um i one thing I do share um Rob is I love tennis. Um, I know you played in high school. I don't know if you still play. Still play,
0: are you I you know what it's funny? Uh, all of my friends are getting into pickleball right now. Have you uh, heard of
2: pickleball? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I, I have not had time I've to play about this tennis, before, right? Yeah, yeah, I feel like pickleball might be the next thing that I pick up here. No.
2: No. Yeah, it's just I mean, not
0: me. I love I love tennis.
2: I love a good old full court. Yeah. Just battle. Um,
0: I, find, I find too now that anytime I anytime I get back into playing, so I, I play in a men's league, uh, a men's baseball league. I'm actually debating whether or not I want to play this year because every year I inevitably hurt myself. I get some sort of injury, you know. Like oh I, yeah, yeah. I dislocated yeah. my pinky finger last year and I had to get surgery on it. Yep. Uh so that's probably one of the reasons why I'm like, eh, I want to get back into sports and playing tennis. And, uh, I'm just like, I know I'm gonna rip my knee off or something. Yeah, actually you're right.
2: And every year I think I get hurt and Michael's always like, What are you doing? I'm like, Oh, I'm going back out <laughs> to the tennis court. So I know this around this time folks start getting nervous because I'm ready to get back out. But thinking about that, um, talk about like your best coaching experience. Um, even like back in high school when you were like learning to be a Mm You know, a Serena or something. Um, What's your best, you know, coaching experience, and what what made it great?
0: Yeah. So the most memorable coaching, I love this story. This is so emblematic of my high school experience. The most memorable coaching experience I've ever had actually was from when I played tennis in high school. Um, My first year as a freshman, we had a coach who was very sort of hands off, like you know, do whatever you want in practice. We're not going to run laps. You just kind of go out there and hit the ball around and. You play one, you play two, you play doubles, and but you want to play singles next week, you should play singles. And it was just very kind of easy and lax. And I I actually learned to play tennis through the Philadelphia, like Arthur Ashe tennis program. Oh, Rex sure. Team. awesome. So I kind of grew up with that. Um, so I was never like a great tennis player, but I was also very, I think the term that my family used in high school was husky. I was very husky in high school. I was like five, seven to 25 ish. Yeah. So I was also not real big on doing a lot of movement. I played tennis and golf in high school, you know, just, just real easy. Not, not a lot of kind of, you know, yeah. strenuous activity. Anyway, sophomore year, a new coach comes on. He was, uh, I think he was our like 10th grade English teacher and he had a reputation for being kind of very strict in the classroom. First day of practice, we learned he played tennis in college and we get there and you know for tryouts and he's like look this is brand new tryouts i don't care if you were on the team last year we're gonna i'm gonna work your butts off and uh you're gonna have to earn your spot on this team we start by running laps run down to the elementary school and run back so you know all 225 pounds of me hustles down to the elementary school and touch the building come back me and this other kid are the two last runners while everybody else is kind of waiting at the court's And the road that connected the high school and the elementary school had a parking lot that was sort of adjacent to it. So we just decided to cut across the parking lot since everybody else had already finished and they seemed to be waiting for us. Let's just get back a little quicker. And we trot up to the field of folks trying out and everybody's just kind of standing there, arms crossed. And our coach looks at us and says, there are no shortcuts on this team. Everybody runs it again. And I... (laughs) Fellas, I like I almost died. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to get back to that elementary school and back to this tennis court in one piece. Um, But somehow I did it. Somehow I made the team that year. And I always think about that. Like That was probably the first time where somebody really pushed me beyond my limits, you know, or like made me realize that I had more potential than I probably believe. And I think that's such an important lesson in life. You know, uh, we do this all the time in education with students, but we also do it when we're working with teachers and helping them understand that, you know, your ceiling is actually higher than, than you might believe it is.
1: And Rob, one of the things I love about that story too, is um, the accountability to other people that yeah. your coach taught you all right then. Um, you're not just accountable to yourself, you're accountable to everybody here. Yep. Even if some folks are trying out and we'll never make the team, right now we are all accountable to each other. I think that that's a huge lesson for, for folks to learn. And I think that teams, teams overall uh, could, could do a better job at, at being accountable to each other because it really matters.
0: Yeah, especially the Sixers right now. They could really, uh, <laughs> actually they're doing a pretty good job. I'll leave them alone.
1: You know, you all you Sixers fans gloating about three games of uh, of of awesomeness. Um, you you are well. We don't have are... much to gloat about, Mike. So you know, not <laughs> to
0: gloat about this kind of stuff.
1: Hey, man, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, you write a blog called the Achievement Plateau. Um, yep. I read it. Uh, well, whenever you send it, I read it. You haven't sent one. You just sent one, and it had been a while. Yeah. Um, before that, but it's a really—I can't recommend it enough to our listeners because you talk about some. Um, I mean, really, it's a no-holds-barred. Um, it's kind of like what we do here at Informal. Observations, where we yeah. talk about something in a really unfiltered way. You had a a, a post recently that was basically calling out teachers of teacher evaluations for being—I'm paraphrasing—a a big waste of time and money. Um, and uh, and you know, I've, I've read the the things about when. When schools were going to go remote or when they did go remote and um and, and so many other topics so um tell our listeners a little bit about like why you, why did you start the achievement plateau and then pl- plug it T- tell folks how they can subscribe because it's it's free and it's a real it's really and it's by the way it's bullet it's bullet points so it's not it's not it's not eight thousand words it's 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 you know it's numbered bullet points and you you get the big ideas right, right off the bat
0: try to keep it succinct yeah 13 is my number um So, well, thank you. Very, very kind words. I appreciate that. And I appreciate anybody who does read. Um, I mostly started it because I love writing. And, you know, uh, I had for years been wanting to say more about the macro issues that I feel like I am, you know, confronting on the, on the micro level, the macro issues in education. And I had honestly the biggest roadblock was coming up with a name for what I would call the blog. <laughs> so, uh, I happened, I think during the pandemic, I had more time on my hands. I think probably during one of those long walks with my son, the achievement plateau came to me. I was like, yeah, the achievement plateau, we, we, we haven't been doing any better. Cause I, I, I think I was saying to somebody, you know, I've been in this game for almost 20 years and I feel like we're, we're still stuck at the same place that we were when I started, you know? Yes. They told me, like, hey, listen, you sign up for this Teach for America thing, you're gonna be a great teacher and we're just gonna revolutionize education. We're gonna, you know, kick the shit out of the 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 uh, the, the the bad stuff we're doing in education, we're gonna do it so much better. And I'm like 20 years later, what what have we what have we really accomplished? I, I think we've done for sure some good stuff, but it just looks, you know, like nationally, the data shows we we have sort of plateaued. So I was like, that's that's the name. I can start writing now. Finally, I, I can I've unlocked yeah. creativity.
1: Yeah. So
0: Um, yeah, so I, uh, I have no shortage of things to write about. I I have so many posts that are in draft form. It has really just been a matter of finding the time, you know, during the pandemic, I was not commuting and I just had, you know, that extra hour every day to, to sit down and write. So it has been more challenging now that we have been back in person and stuff happens after school that you can't always predict. Um, I've also just signed myself up for so many things this year. I'm mentoring a new principal. I'm doing some DEI work with a district out in California. Uh, I am, you know, I was just finishing up my master's degree. I was applying to doctoral programs. and, And so it's been a really busy year, but I am, I have a lot of things behind me and I have a lot more time in front of me now to get back to getting the posts out every week. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I think I got, uh, I said in my post this week, I'm going to talk about Big Macs. I'm going to talk about cigarettes. Yeah, uh, I saw it. yeah. Yeah. So we might get into some health and wellness stuff. Um, and then I was just thinking about, um, something came up just recently too. That I was like, I, I got to write some notes down about that. Cause I have some thoughts about, it. oh, I, I saw somebody wrote a, uh, a scathing post about how restorative circles are unethical and we shouldn't be doing them in schools. And I was like, yeah, that's, um. That's a lot of bunk. So I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to respond to that. Anyway, so it's Un, just unethical. Huh? Yeah. Uh, was I, I,
1: if somebody said they were ineffective, I'd be uh, that that would that would pique my, my interest. But unethical. Well, unethical piques my interest. But um, I'm interested to I'm interested to see what you write about that, because I can't
0: imagine
1: I can't imagine the angle
0: where they'd be unethical. I mean, I think the the writer uh, writes for the um, the Fordham Institute Education Gadfly uh, and, and very good writer, uh, but I think he's he's wrong in the, in this situation. And I have some yeah. thoughts. About it. So, you know, uh, yeah, I think it's also because being a principal can be really isolated. This is the first year I've ever had an assistant principal. So I've often been alone sort of in the leadership post at my school. And, you know, I just. It's also like you don't get together with principals very often, and I don't often get to talk shop with other folks. Um, so, you know, it was just sort of an opportunity, I think, to have a conversation with myself about things that I, I believe are happening in the system. So,
1: yeah. Love it. Um, tell folks how they uh, how they can subscribe.
0: Oh, yeah. So uh, when I was starting this, a buddy uh, buddy of mine was like, you, you got to be writing on Substack. What are you doing? You can't write on one of these other. You got to be writing. On... Everybody's writing on Substack now. And I was like, I have no idea. I have no idea what Substack is man. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so it's it's a it's a, a blog/newsletter. I'm never really sure what it is, but it's it's on Substack, but you can just go to achievementplateau.com e a u plateau.com uh, and um, sign up for the free version there. There is a paid version, but I don't expect anybody to pay for it. It's just Substack uh, encourages writers to have like a subscription service. But you still get all of them. None of my stuff is um, protected by the paywall. It's just folks that um, want to donate to my school. So, uh, yeah, you can sign up for free and read all the stuff at uh, achievementplateau.com. Love it. Love it.
2: Awesome. Rob, what are educators getting right in 2022? What are we
0: getting <sighs> right? Wow. What are they getting right? Um, I think they're dealing, uh, they're doing a good job dealing with all the bullshit that uh, we're throwing at them this year. (laughs) Um, uh, I mean, I think the easy answer here is probably the resilience that folks have showed. I mean, you know, it cannot be overstated how difficult it has been for many teachers to come into work every day, you know, nonstop coverages, dealing with, you know, masking and student illnesses and illnesses of their own and illnesses in their own family. So I think, uh, you know, I am constantly humbled by the. Uh, grace uh, and resilience that our that our teachers demonstrate on a daily basis. Um, but I think the, the other thing that I would say we're doing a really good job of this year is I'm really excited about some of the conversations that folks are having around curriculum. Uh, I love that the science of reading has become a thing. Um, mm. I love starting to reject the supremacy of isolated literacy and math instruction at the expense of science and social studies. Um, and, you know, I think more and more folks are realizing that, like, we have to give students knowledge to build on. Uh, otherwise, you know, they fall into this sort of Matthew effect of not having any knowledge and therefore nothing to sort of add that new knowledge to. So wow. I think I think we're I think we're getting that right in education. And I, I think I'm, I'm very excited about the, the potential uh, for, you know, really good curriculum uh, to to raise student achievement across the board.
1: Love it, Rob. Last question of the night, man. Um, yeah. Trying to be as succinct as possible. If you could change one thing in urban ed in 2022, what would it be?
0: I think it's curriculum. Yeah. I think we have to do a better job uh, of, uh, with curriculum in general. You know, I think I say, I'll, I've been saying more recently, I, I, I don't think that our expertise in, uh, in schools and in districts is writing curriculum, I don't know that we're the best recipe writers, but I think we're really good recipe, uh, you know, implementers. So I think we can do a good job of taking good curriculum that's out there and, um, you know, adjusting the recipes to the tastes of our clients. Um, And I I think by doing that and allowing teachers to do that over uh, an extended period of time, we can really do a good job of of raising student achievement and, um, you know, busting the plateau and giving me a break from writing my weekly newsletter. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well uh i hope you keep writing it but if uh if uh if uh, busting through the achievement plateau is going to get you to stop um <laughs> let's uh let's let's root for that um hey man thanks so much for coming on the show thanks for sharing your insights with us um you're uh, everything from education to parenthood to um, just, uh, your own, uh, your own reflections on, um, on just your, your coaching experiences really appreciate it. So, um, sure. would you come back at some point and join us uh, on another episode of informal observations?
0: Fellas, I love this. I've been listening. Uh, I've been listening regularly for the last several weeks. So yeah, I would, I'm so honored and so humbled to be here. I would happily come back and, uh, and banter with you, with you awesome. guys.
1: Rock and roll, man. Well, it was great having you on here. Um, Folks, thanks for listening. For Antonio and the team at Skyrocket, I'm Michael. Um, Until next time, keep on rocking.
0: This was Informal Observations with Skyrocket Educator Training. Sign up for our mailing list at wewillskyrocket.com. And look out for our next episode.